Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This weekend with your host, Gordon Deal. Will Gen Z make the move? I'm Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Here's what's coming up this hour. As baby boomers sell off their homes in old age, the youngest generation of buyers could be in a position to score their first house. In sports, rap star Eminem says he's ready to take the field for his Detroit Lions this weekend. He's got a message for the coach. On the travel front, what it's like to book two sailings in a single vacation. Here are the logistics of side-to-side cruises. And the hockey diehards going next level with backyard rinks and luxury suites. He has hockey boards with acrylic shielding, actual advertisements on the hockey board, and electronic scoreboard with a TV. Um, a live TV feed, a sound system with a wireless microphone for announcements, lighting with moving colored beams. Jessica Flint at the Wall Street Journal on efforts to create the perfect backyard hockey rink like David Weiss in Toronto. Well, baby boomers dominate America's housing market. They own nearly $19 trillion worth of U.S. real estate, more than double the amount held by millennials and about $5 trillion more than Gen Xers. But as the generation ages, its vast real estate portfolio poses a question. What happens when boomers die? Here's James Rodriguez, senior real estate reporter at Business Insider. James, what did you look at? Well, so this story is really about currently baby boomers dominate America's housing market. You think about the the members of this generation, they own nearly $19 trillion worth of U.S. real estate, and that's more than double the amount held by millennials and about $5 trillion more than Gen Xers. And so the, the real question is, as this generation ages, you know, by 2040, the population of 80 plus year olds is going to double from where it is today. This, this vast real estate portfolio really poses the question, what happens when boomers die, or at least age out of the housing market? And so you have kind of two schools of thought. You have the kind of silver tsunami theory, which is basically, it'll be this wave of homes that will uh, lower prices and open up all these opportunities for younger generations. And then you have others that think, you know, go along the lines of more of a glacial shift, kind of slow moving, predictable, and won't impact prices as much. But, you know, no matter how things shake out, and I kind of look into both of those theories in the story, but really the, the question of timing, you know, when we look ahead to when boomers are going to start aging out of their homes, it's really going to benefit Gen Zers, not millennials. And so um, that's that's really the crux of the story is that that younger generation of Gen Zers will be reaching their prime first time home buying years right as this shift crescendos and you have all of these boomers moving out of their homes. And so, um, you know, they'll end up uh, more fortunate than their millennial predecessors. So uh, is Gen Z a big enough generation to claim all those homes for example, and I don't know, drive up prices, or maybe there's not enough of them, and that won't drive up prices if there's a mad buying spree. Well, so you definitely have, you know, the, the Gen Zers are a smaller generation than millennials, and right now you have most, the, you know, the huge bulk of the millennial generation, the youngest of whom are around 28, oldest are up to 43 now, and so, uh, you know, most of them are kind of within or past that prime age for first-time home buying. But they too will also be looking to get, you know, boomers houses once boomers age out of the market. You know, they might be looking to move up into boomers larger houses or, you know, if they haven't been able to buy a home up to that point, you know, they they might be looking at uh, moving into those homes. Really, the story, though, is 
for, for Gen Zers who will just be looking to get started off on their home buying journey right as all of these changes are happening, which, you know, the economists that I spoke to are really predicting everything to happen between 2030 and 2040 is kind of when the bulk of this aging out will happen. Wow. And that'll yeah. be perfect timing for Gen Zers. We're speaking with James Rodriguez, senior real estate reporter at Business Insider. His piece is called Gen Z versus the silver tsunami. Uh, what about the effect of mortgage rates on all this? Well, so you definitely you know right now we've seen mortgage rates come down a little bit from their 20-year high in October, around 8%. They're around 6 now. Um, and, you know, it's the, the tough thing is it's hard to predict where mortgage rates will be in, uh, you know, a, a decade plus when, you know, within the next 15 years when all of this stuff is really going to be happening. But, again, I think you have millennials, some of whom, you know, Gen Zers, actually, some of whom have been able to get into the housing market already because they were able to get these record low mortgage rates during the pandemic. And so, you know, they could also be positioned to take advantage of, you know, when, when boomers homes are opening up after they age out of the housing market, you know, they, they may be in positions as well to, to move up or, um, you know, on the flip side might be reluctant to because they have such low rates. So I think it's, it's kind of a complicated story when it comes to mortgage rates, but ultimately these demographic patterns are a lot easier to predict and to kind of understand timing wise rather than you know mortgage rates which, which might be a little bit less yeah. predictable uh, gen z can be so different from baby boomers is it possible that a significant percentage of them don't want to own a home well what we're seeing right now is that gen zers are actually tracking ahead of their parents or, or in line with their parents uh, when it comes to home ownership rates you know you have uh, kind of a, a quarter of adult age Gen Zers who have made it into the housing market already uh, with the, with a purchase. And so, you know, there's still a lot of Gen Zers who are uh, not to that point yet. But, you know, what, all signs indicate that Gen Zers are really interested in the housing market, that they've seen the wealth that it's brought to previous generations. And, you know, Gen Zers that I've spoken to are very gung-ho about getting into the housing market and, uh, you know, creating some of that wealth that they've seen older generations generate from home ownership. Thanks, James. James Rodriguez, senior real estate reporter at Business Insider. Coming up next, power couples finding balance like Swellsey. If you still have landline phone service, you may have noticed that your monthly bills have been skyrocketing. That's because the FCC no longer regulates copper lines and phone companies are jacking up the price of their service. UMA is an internet home phone service that lets you keep enjoying the safety and peace of mind of a home phone without paying an arm and a leg. In fact, with a one-time purchase of the UMA Tello, you get internet home phone service for free. All you pay are applicable taxes and fees. Unlike mobile phones, UMA has address-based 911, so dispatchers will know exactly where to find you in an emergency. In the event you call 911, UMA can send a text alert to loved ones. UMA even includes a free mobile app so you can take your home number on the go. And don't worry, you can keep your home phone number for a one-time fee or get a new one for free. Setup is easy. It takes less than 10 minutes. Stop paying too much for home phone service. Visit UMA.com slash Gordon Deal today to get a special discount. That's O-O-M-A dot com slash Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Even wildly successful people can be outshined by higher profile romantic partners. It's kind of like the Travis Kelsey Taylor Swift effect. Here's Callum Borchers, columnist at the Wall Street Journal. Cal, explain. Yeah, well, look, I mean, Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift are 
clearly the uh, the power couple of the moment in American pop culture. But let's face it, as great as Travis Kelsey is, Super Bowl champion, all pro, et cetera, et cetera, you know, Taylor Swift is just on another level. <laughs> and it occurs to me that this is the case for a lot of power couples. You may have two very accomplished people, but for one reason or another, it may just be a function of somebody's job being more in the public eye than the others. But one person often garners more attention. And I wanted to find out what's it feel like or how do you handle being the Travis Kelsey half? In that equation. I mean, as part of that, you attended a Kansas City Chiefs-New England Patriots game, and people knowing that Taylor Swift was somewhere in a in a suite, right, kind of craned their necks to see if they could catch a glimpse of her, only maybe half-heartedly paying attention to the game. It was remarkable, Gordon, and I had really good seats. I was I was a few rows back behind the Chiefs sidelines. So you actually had a very good close look at Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes and some of the other big stars. But I'm surrounded by people, many of them Chiefs fans, even though the game was at Gillette in Foxborough, they got their binoculars and they're scanning the luxury boxes, trying to catch a, a glimpse of Taylor Swift, who was in fact in attendance. But of course, this has been the scene at so many of the games this year, and the TV cameras uh, eat it up as well. And so you know the Swifties are really taking over some of these football stadiums. Explain the uh, the example you opened your piece with, uh, Lawrence Katz and Claudia Golden. Yeah, talk about a power couple. I mean, these are two Harvard economists. They're married, both extremely accomplished. And as I said at the top, I mean, Larry Katz, if he were married to just about anybody else, you know, he would be the more prominent spouse because you know, he was the chief economist at the Labor Department, just last fall elected uh, to lead the American Economic Association. But five days later, doesn't his wife go and win a Nobel Prize? Oh, talk about the Trump card, Golden. <laughs> so, you know, Claudia Golden wins the Nobel Prize and and, uh, and obviously that vaults her into a, a mainstream level of attention, right? I mean, Professionally, they, they probably are peers, but, you know, normal people know what the yeah. Nobel Prize is. And so they've had this experience now. They'll go out on campus and students want to stop and snap selfies uh, with her. <laughs> but they don't really they're not interested in, in stopping for a photo with Larry Katz. Or they, they go to a restaurant or an airplane and she might get recognized. And so uh, he's got a great attitude about it. And he's actually really thrilled for her. Um, but it is always a challenge, I think, especially when you work in the same field. Yeah. I thought it was interesting, too. Somebody... Uh said in your story uh it's 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 selfless when you see your partner achieve something great because you're not that's competing, right that's right, right. Yeah, and, that, and that's a different scenario where they work in different fields. And I think that can make it a little bit easier for some power couples, right? If you if you have different career ambitions, um, in this case, this was a gentleman named David Morris, who's a very successful venture capitalist. Um, he's, he's married to the actress Patina Miller, who folks might recognize either from Broadway or they've seen her in the Hunger Games movies or, or the Stars series that she's in right now. So when she goes out and she wins a Tony Award or she's part of a cast that wins a Grammy Award, you know, David Morris says, look, I can go to these awards award shows and I'm just thrilled for her. It's selfless joy. I, I, I have no desire to be in the spotlight. I work in a completely different field. I would never aspire to something like that. It's funny. We're speaking with Callum Borchers, columnist at the Wall Street Journal. This piece is called In Every Power Couple, There's a Taylor Swift and a Travis Kelsey. How about uh, Serena Williams and, uh, if you will, Mr. Serena Williams, as you say? Yeah, Alexis Ohanian. Talk about the ultimate, uh, you know, sidekick. I think. I mean, he's the co-founder of Reddit. He's got a very successful career after that as as a tech entrepreneur and an investor. Another case where if he married just about anybody else, he would be the better known uh, partner. But doesn't he go and marry Serena Williams? And so, uh, but talk about a supportive spouse. He's often well when she was still playing. Of course, we'd see him in the stands a whole lot, um, and continues to uh, you know really sort of embrace uh, and sort of be in on the joke, right? I mean, I think that's 
supported one of the keys to making it work when I talk to some of these power couples is, you know, if you're sort of competing for who's the bigger star, that's where you end up with friction. Yeah. You know, the, when, when there's a recognition that, okay, I'm very successful and I'm secure in my own success, but hey, look, <clears throat> I'm married to Serena Williams <laughs> or somebody like that. Uh, you just sort of have to embrace the idea that you will always be uh, the slightly lesser known per- person in the power couple. Right. How about the attorney you spoke to this, uh, Michael Ziggy Zogafrakis? Zogafrakis. Yeah, his name's a mouthful, Ziggy, which is why he got that nice nickname. Ziggy was really delightful uh, to talk to because he's a very successful uh, attorney, and now he directs ad product partnerships at, at Roku. So it's a big job at a big company. People know this. Um, but sometimes if the business talk turns to personal chit-chat, he'll mention, oh, you know, my husband is Jeremy Hobson, the public radio host. And and for a certain audience who loves public radio, they know his name from, from here and now or maybe from Marketplace or his new show is called The Middle. Uh, he's on hundreds of radio stations all over the country. And so, uh, you know, some people are really just sort of starstruck by that. Thanks, Cal. Callum Borchers, he writes the On the Clock column at the Wall Street Journal. The start of the new year is a chance for new beginnings, right? But for many people, it also means an ending, as in divorce. Here's this weekend's Nicole Murray. We are speaking with family law attorney Jennifer Hargrave in Dallas. Jennifer, is it true? Do more people actually file for divorce in January? We do actually see at the beginning of a peak that starts in January of divorce filings and continues through February. So, yes, I think it's part of a lot of New Year's resolutions to get rid of an unwanted, you know, 185 pounds or so. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Any idea what else could be driving the trend? Because, I mean, it can't just be New Year's resolutions. No, I, I think the holidays really exacerbates a lot of marital relationships. You can see where, you know, the communication really breaks down. There's a lot of financial stress, maybe a lot of time stress due to family commitments or, you know, you have an extrovert who wants to be out at all the parties and an introvert who wants to stay in. Um, you know, the burden, the, just the share of, of responsibilities may be very, you know, one-sided. And so I think a lot of resentment builds up during the holidays. Um, and that January is a great month to release that resentment. So, um, you know, I think when I when I'm visiting with people in January, they they manage to stick it out through the holidays, but um, but they're done. Okay. Any pieces of advice for people maybe on how to get through the holidays? Because I know with some couples, divorce might be inevitable, but if it is avoidable, any tips on how go how to go about that? Absolutely. I mean, we we love it when um, people decide not to get a divorce for good reasons. So, uh, you know, there's there's a process called discernment counseling, which um, is similar to marital counseling, but marriage counseling really is usually too little, too late, um, and isn't very effective. But discernment counseling is really focused on the question of do we want this relationship to work? So we're not just rehashing all the old wounds and you know trying to pound the other person to fit the mold that we want them to fit but the two people go into the process really focused on you know what does it take to make this marriage work and am i willing to give that you know and i think it's a it's a time for people to get really honest and to reflect about you know what is the value of this relationship to them and we see that discernment counseling process um often resolves in people making a commitment to make their marriage work so that's the first stop that we recommend for a lot of people if they're not sure that they want a divorce to search out discernment counseling and really, you know, have have a productive conversation and see if they can, you know, get their marriage back on the right track. 
Okay, because also one of my questions for you is going to be couples therapy. A lot of people consider this a last-ditch effort. It sounds like you agree. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think marriage therapy can be really helpful to strengthen a relationship. So, you know, it's you, you go in for a tune-up. Just like your car needs a tune-up, your relationship needs a tune-up. It's easy to fall into bad habits and, you know, to avoid the difficult conversations. And marriage therapy can really be a good tool in the toolbox of making a marriage stronger. But oftentimes when we're going to marriage therapy to try and save a relationship that is dying, um, people report to me that it's not terribly effective. So I don't want to discourage anybody. You know, if you've heard of a great therapist, by all means, go seek marriage therapy. But I know there's generally discontent around that okay. um, for dying relationships. And that's where I think looking for a discernment counselor can be really helpful. Are there... I mean, loaded question. Are there any benefits to filing in January as opposed to any other time of the year? <laughs> um, you know, I, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think it, it, people also want to know how long is the divorce process going to take. And just in my experience, at least where I am in, you know, Dallas, Texas, we see on average divorces lasting about six to nine months. Wow. So if you're really wanting to gear up for, you know, a strong 2025, <laughs> Um, filing in January of 2024 is probably a great idea. You should be all set come 2025. Now, of course, there are outliers. There are the divorce cases that go on for years, and there are also divorce cases that um, are, you know, last a lot shorter than that. But um, on average, it's just what we see. So, yeah, I mean, I think the benefit is just really focusing on, you know, getting this year uh, getting everything in order. Also financials, right? We have end of year financials. So it's, we can really look at what happened in the past year. Um, and we're not making guesses uh, so much. So I think that can be helpful too. That's this weekend's Nicole Murray with attorney Jennifer Hargrave at Hargrave Family Law in Dallas. Coming up next, a new spin on a Starbucks loyalty program. Ever feel like your finance software just isn't cutting it anymore? I say dump it. Hey, it's Gordon Deal, here to tell you about Ramp. It's the financial software you need to manage your expenses and avoid unnecessary work. You see, Ramp is more than a corporate card. It's a spending management software. It'll save you time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives your finance teams control and insight. You can issue a card to each employee with specific limits and automated expense reports. Ramp will systematically collect receipts and categorize expenses in real time. Just go to ramp.com slash Gordon. No more chasing down receipts or long hours on reports. Businesses using Ramp save an average of 5% in their first year. And now get $250 when you join Ramp. Ramp.com slash Gordon. That's R-A-M-P dot com slash Gordon. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank, members FDIC. Terms and conditions apply. Get $250 when you join Ramp. Ramp.com slash Gordon. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. Gordon Deal with Nicole Murray. Coming up this half hour, side-by-side cruises. Also, backyard hockey rinks on steroids. And the rapper Eminem, ready to take the field for his beloved Detroit Lions. We'll have that story in about 20 minutes. Well, buying coffee every day has been seen as a financial no-no. You've heard that. Starbucks, though, is trying to convince its customers otherwise. It's a story by Zoe Hahn, personal finance reporter at MarketWatch. Zoe set the scene. The scene really here is if you bring your own personal cup or just any reusable cup, 
um, you are able to get 10 cents off your drink order, but if you are a member, you are able to get also 25 bonus stars uh, accumulated in your, in your award reward app. And eventually you are going to reach the point you can use your reward stars for sandwiches. And that's the deal. Okay. Uh, it seems like you might have to spend a lot, though, and then, and then the personal finance experts don't really love you uh, laying out all that money at Starbucks on a consistent basis. So the thing about this is that you are very correct. Um, there are a lot of personal finance voices, celebrities. Um, they've been saying, um, you know, actually spending your money on daily coffees is one habit you can cut uh, so that you can put that money into maybe a Roth IRA. IRA or maybe your 401k. Um, but there's also some controversies around that part as well. Um, there are also people saying, you know, it is something that can give you joy aside from saving towards retirement. There's also a lot of other reasons come behind that why that is not worthwhile. Yeah. How would somebody go about collecting enough points to get 45 free breakfast sandwiches in a year from Starbucks? So yeah, here's, um, here's the math. Um, if you only look at the 10 cents part, that has been around since 1985, um, and it's not a lot of discount. But if you look at the 25 reward star part, um, the thing about Starbucks is that if you have 200 stars, you are able to spend it and get a free breakfast sandwich or any hot breakfast any hot sandwich items that's on his menu so here if you are a daily coffee drinker and you bring your reusable cup every day you can earn 9125 bonus stars per year that's enough to cover about 45 breakfast sandwiches uh susie orman the personal finance celebrity expert uh, basically gives this two thumbs down right she what she says like peeing away a million bucks yeah that's a really <laughs> that's a cool ride there um but she also got a lot of criticism over the years about you know there's no way you can save um a coffee a day um to up to one million dollar down the line um and so but that's just saying you know there is some merit in you cutting down um unnecessary spending every day so that maybe you can put towards a towards a retirement fund. Thanks, Zoe. Zoe Han, personal finance reporter at MarketWatch. If you love to go on cruises, this might be something up your alley. Side-to-side -side or back-to-back -back cruises allow passengers to extend their trips by taking consecutive sailings, each with distinct benefits. Here's what passengers should know from Nathan Diller, consumer travel reporter at USA Today. Nathan, help us out. Sure. So there are a couple different kinds of back-to-back -back sailings. Um, some people call side-to-sides uh, sailings where you are getting off one ship and then getting on another ship the, the same day. So um, I did this in December. I got off a Norwegian cruise ship and then went from Port Miami to Port Everglades and Fort Lauderdale to board a celebrity ship. So I just had a few hours between disembarking my first ship and getting on the second. Um, so you get kind of two different cruise experiences um, that way. Sometimes they could be very similar if you're staying on the same line or a similar type of ship, but you could also do something very different. I spoke with a couple who sailed with Carnival and they were with their family and their kids and, and did a, a 
family vacation, and then they went to Virgin Voyages, which is an adults-only line, and did just a couple's getaway. And so it was a more kind of romantic trip. Wow. All right, so the logistics here are what as you get off one ship and then make your way to another one because the ships are not, I mean, you referenced you went on two different cruise lines, right? So they're not coordinating your trip. This is all on you to plan. Right, exactly. So you're essentially starting over. Um, In some ways, it is easier because you don't have to worry about multiple flights. You don't have to worry about getting home and then getting back to the place. You're already there. So all you have to do in my case, I just it was as easy as an Uber from one port to the next. Um, There are another type of back to back cruises that are just called back to backs. And those are where you stay on the same ship. So in those cases, the disembarkation is facilitated by the cruise line. You do have to get off, but you're going to do it typically either before the rest of the passengers disembark or afterwards. So it's much quieter. You're not going to wait in the same lines. You're going to leave your luggage on the ship. If you're staying in the same cabin, you'll leave your bags in your room. So you do have to do a bit of uh, legwork um, to get to get back on, but it's much easier than um then a side to side where you're getting off and going uh, and doing it all over again. Wow. We're speaking with Nathan Diller, consumer travel reporter at USA Today. His story is called Two Sailings in One Trip. What to know about side to side cruises. Explain uh, explain the different vibes you might get on, uh, on, on two different lines. Sure. So uh, like I said, I went on Norwegian and then Celebrity and um, they were both uh, new ships in Norwegian's case, it was Norwegian Viva, which has a lot of high octane, high energy activities. I did, uh, you know, like a free fall drop slide. There are big um, Broadway style productions. They do a production of Beetlejuice that's really striking with these big uh, set pieces. And a lot of it feels very family friendly. Um, And then I moved over to Celebrity, which is a more um, maybe uh, elevated, more uh, relaxed experience. Um, It was a beautiful ship as well. Um, but less, you're going to find less of the activities that you would find on on Viva. So, um, not quite as many slides or things like that. Um, but uh, so so you could you know have a more family friendly, uh, high energy trip, and then you could say you know, and each of those were short, so they're you know three days, two days. Um, so you can spend your five vacation days and kind of get two totally different experiences. Wow. So you, you could be uh, connecting with a dip, different ship on the same day, right? Is that how that works? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, typically. And, and you know, sometimes you would stay at the same port. So sometimes you don't even have to go oh, like I did okay. um, across town. You might stay in Port Miami. And um, and originally a, a travel advisor I spoke with told me that the, the term side to side originated because you would be maybe going from a ship that was right next to the one that you're getting off. Um, and that doesn't always have to be the case, but... Uh, that's typically the idea is that you're just you're just uh, going from one straight to the other. Thanks, Nathan. Nathan Diller, consumer travel reporter at USA Today. Coming up next, the ultimate hockey rink backyard. For all the ones who get it done, Granger is always there to help. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, 24-7 support, free access to product specialists, and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Plus, they provide real-time product availability online and have sourcing specialists who can help you track down hard-to-find items. And their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call 1-800-GRANGER, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, thanks for being with us. Welcome to the world of extreme home ice rink building, a cold weather climate subculture fueled by grown-up rink rats striving to achieve backyard 
ice rink perfection. By most measures, David Weiss in Toronto has achieved it with his monstrosity that might make minor league hockey clubs jealous. Here's Jessica Flint, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Jessica, how about his setup? Yeah, so when David was growing up, he really wanted to play hockey, but his family didn't have the means to uh, to have him play hockey. So he said to himself, when I am older, I'm going to create a hockey rink for my family. And he found this property in Toronto. It's this big eight-bedroom, nine-bathroom like house on, on two acres. And when he, when he saw it in 2012, he thought, I can build a rink here. And he sure did build a rink. It is the kind of, I would say, perhaps pinnacle of home ice rinks. Um, he has hockey boards with acrylic sh- shielding, actual advertisements on the hockey boards, and lo- electronic scoreboard with a TV, um, a live TV feed, a sound system with a wireless microphone for announcements, lighting with moving colored beams, a warming house, a grill, a place for fireworks. I mean, he has done it all. Um, and he took things to an even further level by um, recently renovating the second floor of his house to create a skybox viewing area, which is essentially a emulating a VIP seating area in a hockey stadium. Um, the only thing he feels is he is potentially lacking is a kiss cam, which is he is his current project that he's working on now. Oh my goodness! All right, so uh, so back up one second. A warming house is that like a locker room? Like a, what's a warming house? Yep, a warming house is the building that uh, an ice rink, like in uh, the the ice rink has like a house next to it. We call it warming houses, and you kind of go in there to stay warm in between skating and just kind of warm up. So the warming house, his has like a, a changing room, a bathroom. It is like fully kitted out um, to to help people kind of come and go from the ice holy cow all right so uh, obviously he, he has the means i think you said uh, he bought his house for like 4.5 million uh, several years ago uh yep. say he spent like 200 grand on this at, and counting yeah the the uh, skybox renovation cost two hundred thousand dollars the electronics in the backyard cost a hundred thousand dollars and running the ice rink um throughout the season he estimates is about thirty five thousand dollars per season Jeez. what do the neighbors say if, if he has any close enough to to observe you know, I think Canada loves this. Hockey is their, you know, winter pastime, and I think that people feel like his backyard kind of encapsulates the Canada experience, and I think the Canadians are very, very proud of what he has created. It is unbelievable. We're speaking with Jessica Flint. She's a reporter for the Mansion section of the Wall Street Journal. This piece is called Meet the Hockey Diehards Building NHL-Worthy Rinks in their backyards. All right, so from, uh, I guess, what would be the top of the line from uh, David Weiss in Canada, you got this guy, Matt Schweitzer, in uh, in Westford, Massachusetts, maybe sort of on the lower end of the scale, but but a diehard nonetheless. The thing that's really interesting about these, these people who are creating these rinks is that it really spans the gamut between someone who is spending a lot of money to create these this kind of stadium-like experience to people who really just want a kind of a homespun, pure experience in their backyard. And it has nothing to do with the, about the money, and it has everything to do about the process of creating this sort of mythical, perfect sheet of ice, which is what Matt Schweitzer is certainly um, obsessed with. So he uh, had a small area in his backyard and um, where he had kind of made these small rinks and their kids really liked it. So he decided um, the summer of 2017 that he was going to take things to the next level. And he 
bought a big, he rented a bobcat and over the course of a week leveled his backyard to create this kind of 50 foot by 30 foot area where he could really kind of tinker around and make his his perfect ice rink. He's also gone to extreme levels with kind of the ice resurfacing. He's created what he calls a home bony, which is his version of the Zamboni <laughs> that involves a, a, a trash can with hot water. He's even upgraded his hot water system at his house in order to be able to have the hottest possible water for this home bony apparatus. So he's really in it for the, the purity of, yeah. of the, the sport in the great outdoors. Thanks, Jessica. Jessica Flint, reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Well, we'll finish with this. Eminem is ready to suit up for his beloved Detroit Lions. Marshall Mathers puts his hand up for selection with an amusing play to coach Dan Campbell. Eminem gets into the spirit of the Lions' rare postseason progress with an Instagram post. I'm reporting offensive line, eligible receiver. I'll be the quarterback, the entire line, offensive line and the receiver, and I will throw it to myself, and I will score a touchdown. The 51-year-old artist might not be able to do it all on a football field, but he's without question a superstar in the field of hip-hop. In 2020, with the release of Music to be Murdered by, Eminem notched his historic 10th number one album on the Billboard 200 chart. Yahoo Entertainment says 10 of those were in succession, a record, and each of them debuted at the summit. Again, something never done before. He's just the sixth act with at least 10 number one LPs in the U.S. Eminem has been spotted at Lions games this season, as you might know, and in years past, has taken his spot in the commentary booth and offered his services, despite his advancing years. Lions host the Buccaneers Sunday afternoon. That'll do it for this hour. For Nicole Murray, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Weekend.